We invite you, Holy Spirit, to continue to have your way. This, this gathering's about you, and you're about glorifying Jesus. And we, seriously, we dedicate this whole morning to the glorification of Jesus. Let your spirit continue to move amongst us as we look to the word of God to be instructed and transformed and encouraged and equipped. We pray, God, that you'd speak to each one of us. Pray that you help me to share what you want to have spoken today. Lord, we love you. We love your word. We come with faith and expectancy. And everyone said together, Amen. <laughs> we are... Um, Week three in looking at the, the New Testament book of Philippians. And I've called the series Courageous Joy. I wasn't exactly sure why I was doing that, other than the book is full of joy in the face of opposition and struggling and some trials. And both Paul, who's writing that, is in trials, and the people that he's writing it to are in trials, and yet joy is overwhelmingly talked about over and over and over in the book. And when I say the word book, by the way, if you haven't read this, in the New Testament of the Bible, a book is really like a two-page letter. So don't be intimidated. You can read it in a few minutes, and I would encourage you to do that. So two weeks ago was the last time we talked from it, and the topic, I wonder if anyone remembers. It's kind of hard to do that, huh? Partnership in the gospel. Remember, does that ring a bell? We talked about what it means to be a partner, partners in the gospel. Not some heads are going, oh yeah, it's starting to come back. Um, and we realized, based on what we understood from the book, that you and I are partners in this thing called the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And the good news of Jesus Christ, primarily, I think, from watching what Jesus was about and what, what happened as the disciples were going around, both in the gospels and the book of Acts, seems to be the message of the good news of the gospel is the availability of God's kingdom. And that might not be how you usually hear it. Usually you hear the good news of Jesus Christ is that Jesus died for your sins, and if you believe in him, he'll forgive your sins, and you don't have to go to hell when you die, and you'll go to heaven. That's a part of the gospel. But the larger picture is that in Jesus, the kingdom of God is available now. And there's so much power and hope in that message. Whatever struggle someone's having, my good news to them is more than it's true. You can believe in Jesus and you won't have to go to, you won't have to suffer for your sins. You won't end up in hell, you'll end up in heaven. But better even more, I think, is the full picture. In fact, you'll experience a taste of heaven right now. And the kingdom of God is available to you right now. You can begin to experience the life of God's kingdom now. You can even have the Spirit of God begin to live inside you if you'll begin to follow Jesus. So follow Jesus. It's good news, right? And um, you and I are partners in the good news. Gospel means good news. Everything we're about ties into that. And so one of the reasons I'm here and you're here is because we want to grow as followers of Jesus. People who love him, who've given our lives to follow him, who are learning to give our lives to follow him. And we're making disciples right now. So we're learning truths about scripture. This is powerful. But sometimes people, I think, wonder, you know, boy, that wasn't a very life-changing message. 
when they go to a gathering, and maybe I'll find another gathering where there's a, more of a life-changing message, you know. And I just want to encourage you. This is more like eating a meal. And you don't go, oh, that was a life-changing meal. But I tell you, if you stop eating, it will change your life. So I recommend you keep eating, right? So I don't know why I said all that. But anyway, we're <laughs> I'm just having fireside chat with the family. So partners in the gospel. Now um, I want to I get into starting around, I think it's verse 12 of the first chapter, but I want to start by looking at a, a famous well-known saying from the end of this letter. It's become so well-known over the centuries. And I want to give you the context to remind you, or it might be new in case you don't know. Paul, who's writing this letter, is right now in prison in Rome. He has been lied about. He's been physically abused. He, it's been unfair trials. He's been shipwrecked on the way to Rome. It's um, been awful. There's been a conspiracy to murder him. And now he's in jail. And he's in chains. But he has the opportunity to write a letter to his really dear friends at this church that he started called the Philippian Church because it's in a city called Philippi in Macedonia. And here's something he says at the end of that. It's just profound to me to think. Shipwrecked, conspiracy to murder, lied about, false rumors, physically beaten, abused by his own people. And he writes to the Philippians in the fourth chapter, we have it, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I'm, he's, he's in jail. He's in prison in Rome, in chains. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Is that not amazing? I mean, don't you want that in your life? In fact, back to what I said about good news, wouldn't that be good news if because of the, the indwelling kingdom of God that it doesn't matter what anyone tries to do to you, you're content and you're full of joy? And you have courage. I mean, that is awesome. I want to know. I mean, in our vernacular, we might say, what's he smoking and where, where can I get some? You wouldn't say that? No, okay. That's what I would hear somewhere. I wouldn't say that actually because I don't smoke. But Okay, erase that last part. <laughs> Attention editor of this CD. <laughs> that one didn't work. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me, by the way, I just had to say this, of what Jesus said. Blessed, this is, I'm reading and quoting from Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. But great is your reward in heaven. Rejoice and be glad even in persecution. That's Paul. So somehow Paul has found the secret of contentment and joy no matter what. And another way to say that is his soul is at rest. And I get that from 
a, a psalm that David wrote. No, actually David didn't. No, David did write this one. We're not positive, but that's what the consensus is that David wrote this one. You remember another psalm that David wrote? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The, psalm, the 23rd psalm, yeah. The Lord is my shepherd. I, I, I lack nothing. Paul is saying that. I, I don't have any needs. I don't lack anything. He's maybe hungry, but he doesn't lack anything. Somehow there's a reality because of the kingdom of God. So listen to this psalm. 62, this, man, this one ministers to me. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. For Paul, he was certain that his salvation didn't come from being released from prison. By the way, he's facing a trial, and the outcome, as he figures, is going to be either he gets executed or he gets released, and he lacks nothing, and he's at peace. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I'll never be shaken. And then the psalmist goes on to describe someone who's attacking him. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? David, who probably wrote this, was always being attacked by people, sometimes friends. They fully intend to topple him down from his lofty pace. They take delight in lies. With their mouth, they bless, but in their hearts, they curse. And then it says Selah, which means, as far as we can tell, kind of a pause. Pause and consider. And then, now watch what he does. After he said, my soul finds rest in God alone, he speaks to his soul. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. You ever talk to yourself? You should. You're not crazy if you talk to yourself. You're wise. You're doing this. My soul, find rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I'll not be shaken. If you've never read that one, you might, might want to read that a few times. So, I'm going to now, with that kind of background, come back to the front of the, the letter, at verse 12, and read through that. And in this part of the letter, remember I told you last week, this is actually following the very, very well-known and taught format of what's called a friendship letter, like you might have learned in third grade, how to write a letter to your friend. So you start out with the greeting, who, you're, who it's from, and some thanks, some thoughts, usually a prayer, and then you give an update. Here's what's going on with me, just like you and I do. So he's going to do a, here's what's going on with me. And he's going to put it in terms of a kingdom perspective. And I think this is probably uh, maybe uh, the most important part of the secret that he has to being content. By the way, I'm hoping what I'm going to get out of this is to learn what is the secret he had of being content in all circumstances. So that's what I think is going on here. So he seems to have... Um, this perspective that though he's in prison in Rome, there's another kingdom at play. In fact, there's another two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, and it's invisible, and there's the kingdom of Satan, and it's invisible, and they're at war. And that's behind why he who's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom is in prison right now, because there's a war of kingdoms. And he knows that, and that changes how he looks at his situation. And when I begin to know 
and become aware of God's presence and God's kingdom and how God is at work in sometimes invisibly seeming ways in my life, no matter the circumstances, it changes things and I can find some contentment and joy. And in fact, when I'm settled in that kind of understanding and awareness of the kingdom of God, there's nothing you can do to take away my joy. My circumstance can't affect it. My circumstance can't give it, and it can't take it away. And that's what I feel like Paul is like. So here's how he starts out. I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me. What has happened to him that they know he's in, he's in prison. Back up, if you didn't realize, they had just sent one of their guys named Epaphroditus with some money to Rome to meet some of his needs and hang out with him and pray with him and bless him, to visit him in jail. And Epaphroditus has just come back. And now Paul's writing a letter. So they know that he's in prison. So I want you to know, brothers, watch the kingdom perspective, that what has happened has really served to advance the gospel. As a result... It's become clear that through the whole, throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. And um, by the way, that, the word that Paul chose, he's writing in Greek, and the word that he chose to say, advance the gospel, is kind of interesting, I think. It, it's made up of two parts. Um, the, the first part is... Um, pro meaning forward, and the second word is kapto meaning to cut. And the word would be used of like a pioneer chopping through the bush with his blade. That kind of advancement. I want you to know, brothers, that because of my chains, it's actually served to advance the gospel. And sometimes that's how it goes. Now, the palace guard is an, an, is an elite troop of... Um, guards and soldiers in the, the Roman Empire. And they would have been guarding Paul around the clock, um, probably in four-hour shifts. I'm guessing they're chained to him because he's in chains. So can, are you picturing this? Paul is chained to a Roman guard. Now I ask you, who's really the captive audience in this situation? How are you doing? What's your name? I'm Paul. What are you in for? Jesus, actually. Really, tell me about that. <laughs> and, and then four hours later, the next guy comes in. And he's probably counseling them in their marriage. <laughs> you know, some of them he's probably praying for healing. Don't you think? Doesn't that sound like Paul? As a result, it's become known throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I'm a prisoner in chains for Christ. He's like, I'm not too upset that I'm in prison right now. Because I think God's using it. And that makes me joyful. Because that's what I'm all about. See, Paul was all about Jesus and his glory and the gospel of Jesus, taking it everywhere he could. Remember, Paul was an antichrist guy. He was a murderous guy who hated Jesus and was about killing all of his followers that he could, or at least stopping them and imprisoning them. He was once like the Caesar that put him in prison. He was that guy. Did you know that? He was kind of a terrorist. I mean, he was killing people for the gospel. And then Jesus arrested him. And he turned his life to being one of the foremost followers and advancers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't put this guy down. I want you to know, as partners in the gospel, there's no reason that you and I can't be just like this. 
There is no reason that you and I can't have this same kind of heart and experience, no matter our experiences. I hope you believe that. If you're here and you are not yet in Christ, or you are not yet a believer and a follower of Jesus, you can have this. You can leave this place today having put faith and trust in the living God, His Son, Jesus Christ, and the work that He has done in coming to the earth and demonstrating how to live for God and saying the kingdom of God is now at hand and I'm going to bear your sins away on a cross and I'm going to rise from the dead victorious over death and the grave and hell. And you can follow me and come into this life that I'm establishing right now. The kingdom of God is here. No reason to walk out of this place not full of the kingdom of God. But that's not what I'm talking about. So The preacher gets excited. So, by the way, apparently this, this strategy of God was working. Because here's a phrase from, the, from kind of near the end of the letter. He says, the brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The emperor's household are sending greetings to that little church in Philippi. (laughs) Are you you picturing a guy, are you picturing yourself? You've been beaten. You've been almost drowned in a shipwreck. Your, Your own people have betrayed you. Some of your own people have conspired to murder you. People are doing lies about you. Your reputation is shot in many places. And yet you, th- you say, well, that's actually okay because I know that God's still at work. My God is in control. You're not in control. My God is in control. You guard. You think you're my guard, but you're not. I belong to another guard, and I'm just fine. Just, just phenomenal. Well, <sighs> switch gears now right before we get to the next part of the what he's going to say in his kind of testimony. Imagine something that could be real. It's real right now in China a lot of the time. It's real in India. I'm hearing reports of this situation. It's real in parts of Iran and Iraq. Imagine that I'm your pastor and that the officials of the government come in and beat me and arrest me and lock the doors of the church, or bring bulldozers, maybe bigger than that, wrecking balls, and destroy the building, and try to put the fear of the government in you. Don't you do what happened to your pastor. Do what your pastor does, or it'll happen to you. Imagine that, and how you would respond. I, I imagine if I saw my leader imprisoned, I would be intimidated to tell anyone I was following Jesus, just honestly. It'd scare me. I don't want to go get beaten and put in jail. Maybe the Spirit of God would rise up in me, I hope, and I would be bold and courageous. But watch what happens to people in the church at Rome. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the Word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So instead of his imprisonment putting them into fear and intimidation, they were actually encouraged to speak the the word of God more boldly. And I think 
my, my best read of this is that Paul recognized, oh, oh, I know what's going on there. That's the Spirit of God. Look at that. Look what God's doing. Those guys that should be all freaked out and intimidated, they're not. I see what's happening. God's presence is at play right now. Isn't it wonderful? God's kingdom is at work. Isn't it amazing? The Spirit of God has come and given them boldness. Yeah, go God. And I rejoice. And so now he, he goes on a little more. He's got, he's got another problem that he's going to rejoice about. Have you read this letter before? You know what's coming next? Turns out that on top of all his trouble, there are some believers, apparently, Christians who are you know, kind of questionable in their Christianity, but they're in Rome, and they have envy against Paul. They're envious of his gifting and his position, and to be envious is to resent what someone else has. You're not only jealous of it, but you resent that they have it. So you're going to do something to hurt them. So there's, there's some people in Rome that are Christians that are going around, and it's kind of confusing to read, and I'll read it to you in a second, but I want to say it first, and then we'll read it. They are actually preaching a gospel. They're preaching Paul's message, but intending to somehow hurt him by doing it. They're not doing it because they want to preach the gospel. And either they're in competition with him and they want to maybe gather people to themselves to follow them, or possibly they are, um, you know, the, the, the officials come and they say, what's this message you're preaching that Jesus Christ is Lord and, this, and Caesar is not Lord? You know, pause for a second. Here's the message. Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. But the emperor says, no, Caesar is Lord and Savior. But Paul says, no, and we Christians say, no, we don't bow to Caesar, we bow to Jesus. So it's a very dangerous message to preach in Rome at this time. And so, you know, perhaps the, the guards, the, the officials come to these guys that are against Paul, that we'll read about in the next sentences, and they say, well, you know, what are you saying? Well, I don't know, go ask Paul, it's his message. Maybe they're doing that. One commentator thought that. In any case, we know that they're doing something to hurt him. So, here's the language, if I can find it. Uh, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, in love for me, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Watch the kingdom perspective now. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. You can't put this guy down. I am content in all things, and I'm actually rejoicing that people with selfish ambition are trying to hurt me because in spite of all that, actually the message is getting out and more people are hearing about the incredible good news of Jesus and the gospel of God is advancing. And for that reason, I rejoice. What makes you rejoice? What makes you rejoice? And if the advancement of the gospel doesn't make me rejoice, I need to look to myself and look to my God and say, God, whatever that part is in me, let's get rid of it because I want to rejoice about the advancement of the gospel. You, I just had a thought. 
you might be someone who cares about purity of doctrine and you saw a television preacher or you heard a guy on the radio or you saw a book and you don't like some of the things they teach. They don't, they don't line up with your view of some certain teachings. I have that with people. But can I say, but in some sense, what does it matter? The gospel is advancing. God bless what they're doing and help them when, in the place where they're in error. Can I have that heart? And not lose my joy. <laughs> and, and also, it, it's good to note, Paul is going to deal with this in the Philippian church in a little bit. I'll, I'll preview it. Philippians 2. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. He's talking to them about what the Roman bad guys are doing. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I love the Word of God. It's like food to my soul. Well, going on, verse 18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. I told you joy is in this book a lot. I'm going to continue to rejoice, for I know something else. I know that through your prayers... And the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what is going to happen will turn out for my deliverance. You've got to catch this. He's going to say that my deliverance means either I get killed or I get released. But either way, I'm calling it deliverance and I'm happy. Amazing, huh? Watch how it goes. I eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. He's in prison. He's going to go to trial, he thinks. He says, I know that because you've been praying for me, I have confidence that God responds, and I'm going to be delivered. And I also have confidence that when the time comes, I will have the courage that I need to do what I need to do. Just like those people in the Roman church that are boldly preaching the gospel, having seen me in chains and in prison, I know, I'm confident, I believe in the Word of God, I believe in the power of prayer, I believe in the presence of the Spirit, I have faith, I know you're praying for me, you're my partners in the gospel, I am sure that Jesus has heard your prayers and it's going to work out in some way good for me because if I die, I get to see Jesus and I can't wait for that. And if I don't die, I get to see you and encourage you in your faith. That's what he says, let's read on. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So this guy's not very threatened with death. You know, bring it on. We're going to kill you if you keep that up. Really? Please. Oh, well, we're going to release you. Okay, please. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain. Watch this next line. He's just full of faith and joy. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. And, and by the way, the evidence from some of the letters to Titus and Timothy, if I remember right, um, and the scholars believe that Paul actually was released. And he did go to Philippi again, and this happened. We don't have another letter to document that, but that's apparently what happened. He, and later he came back to prison. He was eventually executed, but at this time, he's actually going to be released. So just some points I put in your notes, and I'll say, I kind of said it, but I'll say it again. Paul is certain of God's presence. He's certain it's active because of their prayers. 
That's the key, by the way, that I'm saying is a secret of contentment and joy in any situation. When you and I learn to be certain of God's presence. The deliverance he anticipates could be execution or release from prison. For either outcome, he recognizes, well, that's God's kingdom at work, and I'm good. Because his soul is at rest in God's kingdom, he calmly trusts he'll have the courage he needs for either outcome, and he'll overflow with joy no matter what happens. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether in plenty or in want. So I underscored this point in your handout, and probably it will be on the screen too. Recognizing and rejoicing in God's presence is a major key to having joy and contentment no matter the circumstances. This is a kingdom perspective. Now, I think we're doing okay on time. Yeah, I can bring this to an end in the next five to ten minutes. I, I have a story that I want Robin, is Rob, yeah, there's Robin, to share, to kind of put some, some meat and bones on this in, in regular life. One of the things that I'm going to say. Are you ready for a, a thick, thick quote? It's from Dallas Willard. You'll have to chew on this for a while. Dallas Willard was the director of philosophy at USC, but he was also one of the more profound thinkers of, in the Christian world in the last century. He died, I think, in 2013. It's questionable. <laughs> he often said this, I kind of think I won't know that I'm dead for a while after I die. Because he was so in touch with Jesus, he kind of figured he'd just walk into the next room and at some point realize, oh wait, am I dead? Because Jesus said, I tell you the truth, he that believes in me will not see death. He won't taste death. And I have a feeling that you and I, when we really know Jesus, we won't actually taste of death because Jesus will just come and take us. And that's the stories that people have. Have you ever heard the stories of someone who they're in a coma or something, all of a sudden they wake up and they go, Jesus is here, you see him, and then, and then they're gone. There's stories like that all over the place. Well, that's, that was for free. Anyway, listen to this quote from, it's Dallas Willard being quoted by John Ortberg in his book, Soul Keeping. You must arrange your days so that you are experiencing total contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. That and that alone is what makes us so healthy. You must arrange the way you spend your time and your day so that you are experiencing complete contentment and joy and confidence in your everyday, normal, ongoing life with God. So here's some thoughts about one practical way to do this. And Robin, I'm going to have you come up and share your story here. So be patient, first of all. This is a lifetime of spiritual growth process. Um, one of the first things is to, well, to be patient, but secondly, to cultivate a hunger for God's for experiencing and extending God's presence, God's kingdom in your everyday life. Now, Robin told me a story of at work where she's just having a um, kind of a, a normal situation with someone that, that converts into a holy hello. You know what a holy hello is, right? There. And um, I, get, I said, do about three to five minutes. You got, can you handle a really good story? So this is a story in progress. We don't know the end of the story yet, but the, begin the middle's good. Good morning, everybody. 
So I want to say Amy made a comment about community. Yeah. And we set the community at our workplace as well. We all need each other. Christian, non-Christian, we need to come together. And as Christians, we set the tone for our work office, right? And I have had the privilege of working alongside a doctor who is from Algeria, which is a Muslim country. And he has gone through some tremendous, tremendous situations in his life and with his family. And you also use the word tribe. So his family is from the ancient tribe of the Bibars, if I can say that correctly. They have a language that's over 2,000 years old. Wow. It is amazing listening to his story and what he's gone through. And I have been able to share faith with him um, in ways that is just going in and being and content and having God's joy on you and sharing and developing the friendship. And little things happened, and I am very transparent at work about my struggles and what God does, and he's answered this prayer, and he's answered that prayer. And when he first came in, even though being raised in a Muslim country, he said he was atheist. And then as time went on, and I would say, oh, praise God, God did this today, <laughs> and he just, he, he showed up, and he's like, thanks God. Thanks, God. And that was the start. Wow. And then little stories just kept going on and on and on and just kept sharing. And, you know, God's just given me such a heart to see this man come to salvation. So he's going through another trial. Um, his son is going blind. And he is a tribal leader in his home. And it's different because he is here in the United States, but they are a very patriarchal society. They are trained up and raised up to be the leader of the home. So even though the sisters may marry and everybody may marry, everybody in that village may answer to that patriarchal person. So they have to have wisdom. They have to have respect. They have to have integrity. They have to have all those things in their character to be that leader. But if you don't have faith, who are you going to for those answers? And he grew up, and in his mind, he's logical. He's a doctor. Everything is about logic and science to him. So when I walked in that day and I said, hey, how you doing? And he goes, hmm. I'm like, what's going on? Because sometimes you have to look past the mask that people put on, right? Oh, that's yeah, good. I'm not having a great day, but okay, so what's going on? Why is it not a great day? So as he started to talk to me and he told me I have had to pull my son out of college. His son is brilliant and charismatic, has a heart to train to become a doctor, to provide health care all over the world. I mean, this kid has just these ambitions, and he's smart, and he's losing his sight. So how do you become a doctor treating people when you are going blind? So he's always told his son, I will keep you from going blind. He doesn't have that power to do that. So he had to pull his son from college, and he was feeling so heavy-hearted. And, you know, in the past I've told him, well, I'll keep you in prayer, and I'll share things like, hey, I'm praying for you. But that day, God gave me the courage at that moment to say, can I pray for you now? Uh-oh. And he said, yes. And I said, in my mind, I'm like, yes, yes, God. So we went into my office, and we shut the door, and he started telling me, you know, his heart and what was going on and the fact that he never cultivated faith in his life, that everything is logic, everything is science to him. And I told him, I said, well, you know, God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And you know what? He's here, and I can pray for you. 
So I took his hands and I prayed for him. And I did it because he hadn't been sleeping. He hadn't been eating. As parents, we know how hard it is when our children are sick. It's like, that's just like a number one hit on us, right? So I started praying for him because he hadn't been sleeping. He was worried about his son. And he held onto my hands so tight that I thought he was going to break them. And I didn't ask for healing. I asked for peace, that just that peace that passes all understanding in Christ Jesus to fall upon him and his son. And just, God was just there. And after we prayed, his eyes were just, you know, tears. And he's this man. He's this leader. They don't do that, right? And I told him, I said, who is there for you? You have to make all these decisions as a leader. Who do you go to? And I'm like, you know what? You need God. And you need to believe that God is real and that Jesus loves you and that he holds you in the palm of his hand and that you don't have to carry this burden alone, but you got to quit thinking with your logical mind and think with your heart. So we said our goodbyes. He left. The next day I was walking to work and he was walking and I'm like, hey, and he looked at me. He goes, come here. So I went down and I said, how are you this morning? And he looked at me. He goes, I slept like a baby. I have not slept in days, and I slept like a baby in peace. And I'm like, thank you. God answered our prayers. And then he says, and my son called me. And this is the thing that just touched me. He goes, Dad, it's okay. What happens? I'm okay. I'm at peace. And again, I was just like, praise you, Jesus. And he goes, So my son is at peace, I slept well, and I'm thinking, hmm, maybe there's something to this faith thing. So I'm like, there is, I'm telling you. So I said, I'm going to give you some things to overcome your logical thinking, and I'm (laughs) going to continue to pray, because God is after your soul, and he wants you saved. And you understand the impact that if this man gets saved, right, with this tribe and this village, and his people, and his influence, that one person can make a difference. His son, his ability to do what he does, and God comes into that, to have somebody who's doing what he wants to do and do it blind. Do you know what God can do with that? So I'm not looking at it as this is just one soul. I'm looking at this as this is exponentially growing. So just stand with me in prayer on this too, please. Awesome. So the story's in progress. Uh, And because of this, I rejoice. Because of this, I rejoice. I'm so glad you're a partner in the gospel. Susan, you feel compelled to say something. I have to say something, and I'm saying something about Robin right now. Okay. This is what I want to say. You hardly need a mic, but I'll give you one. So, praise God that she didn't care about what anybody thought about what she was about to say. That's the courage right there where we cease to care about the judgment that might come. And that's what you did. And God used it because you didn't care. So praise God. That's all I want to say. Thanks. Yeah. Now, some of you might be going, oh, dang, now I got to do that. (laughs) Yes, you do. Because we're partners in the gospel. We're partners in relationship and we're partners on mission. And the next, the next point was, um, 
Know that your normal acts of goodness and kindness are just as much the work of the kingdom of God as overtly spiritual acts. Her normal just caring for that person was the presence, the kingdom, the spirit of God at work. And then it shifted when she said those famous words. What are the, what are the words we say? May I pray for you. You're practicing those words? When someone comes to you and opens up their heart, they tell you their trouble. Your response, if you want to have some fun, is to say, I think God might want to help you. Can I pray for you? And he did. And the story's ongoing. Um, ooh. Just one more thought in this, how to develop this awareness of God's presence all the time. Uh, one more thought is to develop a habit of reviewing your day with the Lord and asking him, could you remind me where you were present that I might have missed it? And you review your day. You might do this twice a day. You might do this every hour and set your clock, set your phone. And you just kind of review, what, what, did I, what did I do today? Who did I interact with? And ask the Holy Spirit, were you involved in any of that? Because remember, I'm saying develop a kingdom perspective, an awareness of the invisible kingdom, the rule and reign of God at work. He's at work. Jesus is at work all over the place outside of the church, probably more outside of the church. He's at work, and he's waiting for you and I to show up and seize the moment and see what he's doing. When you do that, you begin to become aware, like Paul was, of the work of God. And when difficult things happen... You have joy and contentment if you can see past them, past your struggle, your trial, the thing that went wrong, the thing that gave you a flat tire so that you ended up being with someone and God turned it around. I am just you know, made that up, but you know what I'm saying. And then suddenly you don't care about your flat tire. You care that I'm rejoicing because God redeemed the time. Thank you.